I vividly remember the last crisis we went through as a nation over 9-11. In those days just after those Twin Towers fell, I wondered as I sat at my desk as a pastor, what would life be like? I wondered about finances, I wondered about relationships, I wondered about jobs, I wondered about safety, uh, all the things that we did regularly, how much of it would change? And I recall as a church what we did was to gather and to pray more. And as a result, more people got together and encouraged each other. Well, as we look at the COVID-19 crisis, we discover that we can't do that, at least not in the normal ways. And as we look at the COVID-19 crisis and this situation called uh, social distancing, though it's designed to protect us and to give us plenty of time to find solution for the COVID-19, it comes with its own set of crisis as healthcare workers are concerned about those who are lonely and depressed and going through discouragement as they're being isolated. As a matter of fact, in one of the articles that I read recently about this, uh, says the following. In post 9-11 New York City, for example, many residents leaned on a shared sense of experience and community to process an unprecedented attack. This time around, it's easy to slip into the unease of viewing a fellow New Yorker as a potential coronavirus carrier or a rival for that last bottle of hand sanitizer on a store shelf. The article goes on to say this as well. Humans are wired to be social creatures, and that's how we cope when a big disaster happens, said Judith Moskowitz, a professor of medical social science at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. Now we're being told to cope with this by staying away from each other. As we look for answers from the scriptures, one particular portion comes to my mind out of Psalm 139. David was one who had experienced quite a bit of crisis by the time we believe that this psalm was written. We believe that it was sometime during the first uh, part of his kingdom. So in that time, he had the opportunity to fight a lion and a bear, face down Goliath, uh, work through the battles with multiple Philistines, as well as to spend time running from Saul. So he understood what it was like to be under a crisis, but he also understood what it was like to be separated from those he cared about, from his own nation, from those he had led in battle for years. And he says this in Psalm 139. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. The psalm goes on to actually, I think, answer some questions that we might have in regard to this challenge of social distancing. One of those questions is, does God really care? Another would be, is God there? And finally, what should I do about all of this? Well, let's look at some things that are found in this wonderful psalm that is considered one of the greatest uh, expressions of God's, uh, of God's omniscience 
and his omnipresence. And as we think about being alone and being isolated, let's consider some of these things. But before we do, let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for the time that you have given to us to be able to look at your word, to look through the eyes of a man who truly understood isolation, one who spent his time in caves away from those who might be his family and friends, and one who experienced danger all around him. Father, as we look through his eyes to see you, I pray, Lord, that we will fully understand that you are a God who wants to be connected to us. And we thank you for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Does God care? I think the first part we need to recognize is that God does pursue us. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. I think it's important to note that it isn't you have searched for me. You see, it wasn't a situation that we are, in a sense, some lost uh, individual that God is looking for or we're distanced from him. God is there. But God is interested not in just not this concept of searching for us, but searching within us. That gives us a different picture of God that so many people want to think of if they give him any credit at all. Uh, the idea of him being some cosmos, uh, uh, this great uh, God who has created the whole cosmos, and then maybe from a distance is looking on his creation, coming down to play with the knobs every once in a while. Or even those that give him enough credit that he just uh, is there, he's somewhat close, but he doesn't really care about the uh, individual aspects of our lives. He's just more like a Sims player who has his different characters and he's putting the things into their life that will help them have better health or maybe more happiness. But David describes God as more of one who is intimately interested in our lives, willing to search into our hearts and to know us. You have searched me and known me. He makes that initiation. He is pursuing us. Does he care? Yes, he knows us. Verses 2 and 3 say this. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. David is not just referring to the fact that God is aware of who he is. He's talking about the fact that he knows what's going on in his life uh, when he is sitting down or when he's getting up or whatever he might be doing. That God is acquainted with that. He knows all of the ways. And I think an interesting thing that he also goes on to say is he talks about not only that relationship that he has with him now, uh, later on in the passage, uh, David talks about how that God has known him intimately before a time that David could even remember himself while he was in the womb. He says, for you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. The knowledge that God has of us is not just some cursory knowledge that he can give us the facts. He knows things about us that we don't even know about ourselves. And that type of information uh, is, is something that David says later just blows his mind. It is too wonderful for him to comprehend. But let's look at this concept of comprehending where David says, in a sense, God not only knows things, he is able to put the pieces together to fully understand who we are. He says this in verses 2 and verse 4. He says, you discern my thoughts from afar. And then in verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. 
There are times when I wish that I thought a little bit more through what I was going to come out of my mouth. But God knows it even before I formulate the thought into sentences so that I can communicate it to others. That is how intensely and how intimately God knows me. And that is how he knows you as well. He not only knows the facts about you, he understands you. And he understands what you're going through. So when we're going through a time of challenge, crisis, difficulty, whether it be financial, relational, or whether it be something that affects all of our plans, our social calendar totally wiped out, the opportunities that we really look forward to in this spring no longer available to us because of the orders that have come down, because of the fear of what might happen with COVID-19. But God understands that, and God has a great comprehension of those fears and those frustrations that you might be going through. And then the next thing that gives me an idea from this psalm that God cares is found in verses 5 and verse 10. It says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. In this passage, David is is describing a situation where God, in a sense, is hemming him in, uh, in a, I would say, isolating him, uh, isolating for the purpose of keeping him from other people, but to show that's the kind of relationship that God has, a protective one, that he becomes the fortress. He becomes really, really the refuge that, uh, that we so desire. And he uses the word that you have laid his hand on me. In this time of social distancing, our hands become our enemies. We're constantly washing them and making sure that they have all sorts of disinfectant on them. As we made our trip back from Ohio to Iowa last week, we had probably used so much hand sanitizer that we started getting wrinkles all over our fingers as a result. Uh, We were fearful to touch anything, and especially not to touch our face Here we have God talking about, uh, David talking about God touching him with his hand. Look, he does it again in verse 10. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Does God care? God cares not only to know who you are, to comprehend who you are. He doesn't care just so that he could create you for someone that he could have for, for his own self. He cares about you and shows that he's willing to also come into your life and to be a part of your life as he he takes that knowledge that he has, that understanding that he has to truly care for your needs. God deeply cares for us, and we might know this, but what if he has turned his back on us? What if we feel lonely? What if we're wondering where God is through this difficult time? Well, that's where we look to the psalm to answer the question, is God there? David said it this way, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. This is similar to what, uh, what we see in the book of Romans where Paul is trying to encourage his readers that God is not going to be separated from them at all. In that very comforting 
passage in Romans chapter 8, we read this. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope that as you consider the presence of God, that you recognize that as an expression of the love of God. And that there is nothing that can separate us from his love, and nothing is going to separate us from his presence. The psalmist goes on to say this, that not only is he everywhere, and with us always, he's particularly there, or especially there, in the dark. If you've ever had children, and those that you're trying to lay down for bed, and they are uh, scared of the dark, and they start seeing things in the dark, you have an understanding of what the darkness might hold for someone who is fearful. In reality, there are a lot of dark times for us right now. The sin curse on this world has, got, has really turned things upside down. And in a sense, metaphorically, it is a dark time for us. And it is during that darkness that God is not impacted. For the psalmist says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You see, even though we don't see well, God always sees well. He has, in a sense, this night vision goggles that allows him to be able to cut through all the darkness. He's able to understand the darkness of our souls, those difficult times where, where we just don't see where God's light might be. God sees us. God is there with us. God desires for us to, to recognize that he is not only everywhere and with us at all times, but especially in those dark times. We're reminded of that psalm in Psalm 23 where we are given the imagery of that faithful shepherd. And within that famous psalm, these words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Through those most difficult times, God is there. God cares, and we are not alone. So, what are we to do about it? How should we respond? The psalmist responded in some very unique ways. As he contemplated how much God knew of him, how much God understood of him, and how that he could not get away from him. It would be tempting for us, if we did not feel we had a good relationship with God, to really be fearful of those facts. And to think, I'm not sure I like the idea of being stalked by God. I'm not sure I like the idea of him knowing all my thoughts and what is going through my heart. But David said it this way in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Essentially, David's first response is just the wonder. The wonder of what God is. Now, I admit I have spent a lot of time just wondering about the COVID-19 disease and how much progress it's making around our world. What's happening in other countries? What's happening in our country? What's happening in our own state? And I'm wondering as to what kind of impact it's having, not only on people's physical lives, but 
what kind of impact is having on our whole financial structure of our country? How long will it take for us to really make up for what we're going through right now? And those wonderings go through my mind. But David, I'm sure, had plenty of things on his mind. If this was written during the first few years of his kingdom, he had just come out of a divided kingdom trying to unify them, had enemies all around him, all seeking and hoping that he fell. So he had plenty of things on his mind as far as crisis. But instead of wondering about that, He's in wonder about how awesome his God is and how that his God knows not only about what's going on in his life, but what's going on around the whole nation and the nations around him. He goes on to say this, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. David knew the fact that God did great works. And the context he's talking about was really about a time that David didn't know. He didn't know what went on in his mother's womb. But he knows by the, the work of the Holy Spirit in his heart to be able to pen these words that he was knitted and he was put together by a holy God for a wonderful purpose. And he rejoices in that, in wonder, for he is fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are God's works, not only at that time uh, when he started forming us in the womb, but in our life, regardless of what we're going through. And every day-to-day event, through all the dark times, or whatever the situation might be, God is there not only with us, but willing to guide and direct us through that time. So not only should we wonder or uh, just take time to think about and praise God, We should also count. Here's what David goes on to say. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. David recognized that God was just beyond his comprehension. The blessings that God had done were beyond his capacity to fully count. The fears that David had for enemies that might be mounting around him, the crises that might be just on his footstool, were nothing compared to what he remembered and what he counted as his God. You see, truly, David was a man after God's own heart. Truly, God recognized that God was very important to him. And he was able to to think about that. Even though he couldn't count at all, he was willing to praise God and to focus on those things. I'm reminded of that passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where we are also challenged to meditate on things, those things which are of good report. There are so many things that we can focus on in our society right now that will take our attention off God. Let's consider what we can count in regard to what God has done and how that he will continue to fulfill his promises. The next thing David does, he talks about something very real to him. He had significant enemies. They had faces. They had names. He had spent much of his life in hand-to-hand battle with similar enemies in the past. So when he talks about enemies, he has a visual in mind. I would dare say for us, sometimes we don't really understand who the true enemies are. 
Some might think it's the virus. Some might think it's the government. Some might think it's some other governments. Or we might think it's that person who's competing with us for uh, goods in a particular store. But in reality, our enemies are those things which get between us and our relationship with God. David articulates it this way. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. I find it fitting for us to consider what our enemies might be. I think for me, many times, the greatest enemy I have is myself. My doubt, my fears, my selfishness, my desire to have my own kingdom. All those things need to be battled with God's word and with his spirit and with the, uh, the help of my friends as I desire to hold myself accountable so that I can be a child of God that walks and serves him well. But one thing that I realize is that sometimes we have this idea that we have a side and there's another side and we want God on our side. It was early on in my venture to understand God, that I came across this passage of scripture. I was actually sitting in a junior high Sunday school class. I had not yet known Jesus as my personal savior. And I was just trying to, as I looked around at these other kids that were in the class, trying to just drink in every Bible story I could. The place where the Sunday school class was, was in the book of Joshua. Of course, at that time, I didn't realize that there were five books ahead of that that talked about uh, all these Israelites and why they were so important to God and what he had taken them in those uh, first five books. So, so I didn't have a lot of background story. But all I took away was this account in Joshua chapter 5 where it says this, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him and with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. I think David was kind of pointing this out, that he wanted to be a part of the battle that God was in. He wasn't so much interested in making sure God was on his side. He wanted to make sure that he was on God's side. And regardless of what your battles look like, I would encourage you to consider what are the battles that God has? What are the things that he really wants us to focus our time on? He wants us to battle sin. He wants us to battle sin in our own life and that we would uh, make ourselves uh, available to his grace and his mercy and seek his forgiveness and seek his, uh, his, his grace in handling those temptations. He would want us to battle through our doubts and battle through our selfishness that keeps us from sharing the gospel with others. There are several battles that God would want us to join in. But one thing that I remember the, the Sunday school teacher doing that was very helpful to me, a shy junior high boy that didn't have a whole lot of clout, is that he wrote on the board, God plus you equals the majority. Now, I'm not sure of the theology of all that in regard to uh, uh, that, but I do know this, is it is true. God is always the majority, and he is right, and his battles are good, and his enemies are genuine enemies, and that we must recognize that we should be on his side. And whether or not I join on on that, on that team makes no difference, but I do want to do what David said. 
He wanted to be on the side of God. And then the fourth thing that I see under what should we do is to be genuine. David kind of has a sandwich here in regard to searching. First of all, he talks about the initiation of God searching him. Now he closes with the invitation to God to search him. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I'm not so sure that David was so confident that he was totally without sin, that he was challenging God. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think what's happening here is that David is resigning to the thing that God is doing anyways. God is searching his heart. God is understanding him. God is coming alongside him. God is anywhere and everywhere David would want to escape. But I think what David is doing is just simply aligning himself under that which is already true. You see, we do have a choice in this matter. Maybe we get a little anxious knowing that God knows everything about us, that God is with us in everything that we do, that God can contemplate and comprehend where our thoughts are going, dots that we have difficulty connecting. He connects already. And that might cause us to be fearful of a God like that. And it's at this time, we would invite you to realize that if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you would be like I was. At the time I was watching that Sunday school lesson, I would be one that really wasn't on the side of God. The Bible says our faith in Jesus Christ are indeed enemies of God. And I would exhort you to take what the psalmist is saying in 139 and for you to invite God to search your heart for you to know that you are genuinely one of his children. Maybe you're confident that you have with Jesus Christ, but maybe the whole church thing has been all about external, not really made growing as a disciple an important aspect of your life. Maybe you've counted on being able to show up in this building and be able to be with your friends and others, and to sing the songs, and to listen to the messages, and maybe sit in a Sunday school class. But now you're genuinely being tested as to how much this is really, really important to you. Are you spending that time in reading the Word of God? Are you desiring to grow to be like Jesus Christ? As we bring all this together and we think about it, let's think as David did, as we see in the Psalm 139. We need to remember that God cares. He shows it in the ways in which he searches our heart, how he knows us, he's always with us, and how he wants to use his hands to guide and hold us. And not only that, he's always there. No matter where we try to go, even if we try to run, he is there. Even through those dark times, particularly through those dark times, he is there. And again, if this does not bring you comfort, we encourage you to talk with us because we would love at Calvary Baptist to be able to provide for you the hope and the excitement that knowing that God is with you and that he knows you is a very exciting thing. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for the time that you have allowed us to be able to share your word. What an awesome portion of scripture, this Psalm 139. 
written under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit through a man who lived through times of battle, times of isolation, times of rejection, times when he should have been fearful and wanting to reject you. He only drew closer to you. And he rejoices in the fact that you were with him everywhere he went, whatever cave he was in, whatever dark situation that he experienced, and that you had a great care for him throughout all those situations. Father, as we try to navigate this COVID-19 crisis, as we try to see Christ in this crisis, help us to depend upon you and help us to look to you and rejoice that you are with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.